You are now listening to Mark Pritchett of Northridge Church. For more information, please visit NorthridgeThomaston.com. Always remember, no matter what you've done, your sin is never greater than our God. Let's do better than that. All of God's people said amen. How many of y'all are cold? Snuggle in to the person next to you. Hopefully you sit by side, somebody you like. I'm so thankful for uh, the day. Uh, I just am so honored that God has uh, called me to this church and that we are doing what God has called us to do. You guys are faithful to come out on this cold weather. Uh, I left uh, this morning, and I continue to pray for me, if you will. Left this morning, um, Louisville, Kentucky, flew in this morning, and Tyler and I will be flying out at lunch or at 3 o'clock. We'll leave right from here and go to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then I'll come back home tomorrow. So we started the run, as I've asked you guys to pray with me. On this Winter Jam tour, so we'll be doing 44 cities over the next 11 weeks. I've done three this weekend. and uh, But I thank you. I do. I applaud you. Thank you for your patience with me. My phone is always on. So if you need me uh, in this time, please call me. Of course, Pastor David and Pastor Tyler and Doug and Tracy and everybody else is at the office all week. I will not miss any Wednesday night services or Sunday services, uh, Lord willing. And it doesn't get cold. This morning I was sitting there and got on a plane, and then they said, we get to de-ice the plane. So we got to sit there for 45 minutes while they de-ice. And I'm like, take your time, guys. I don't want to go down. You know what I'm saying? I don't get frustrated about delayed planes. If I'm not supposed to be on it, I'd rather go sit in the airport. But uh, let's do this. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Jonah. I'm going to start a new series today. Entitled Big Finishes. How many of you want to finish big? Wave your hand hand at me. You want to finish big? Some of you don't. Okay, let's try it again. How many of you want to finish big? All of us should want to finish big. Amen. Got a, got a wool over there. I believe with all of my heart that as we embark on this next series of sermons, Big Finishes, we realize that there are several types of beginnings. Now, Big Finishes might sound like a sermon that, series that we would preach in December. But in fact, we're the opposite. We're at the beginning of the year and I submit this to you. That great finishes always have great beginnings. Now, they may not always be huge. In fact, today I'm going to talk to you about humble beginnings that end in great finishes. And we're going to begin reading in the book of Jonah, who is a minor prophet. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me to chapter 1. Minor prophet Jonah, of course, wrote to an evil city uh, prophesying over their imminent destruction. The city of Nineveh. Now many times if we studied in church as a child, we realized that there are two main stories that we can cover. One, of course, is Noah's Ark. We've talked about that and we see God's providence, uh, how he makes a way out. Aren't you glad he makes a way out when he pours out uh, his wrath upon this earth? If you studied any apocalyptic literature, revelation, you realize that that's exactly what he's doing in this world now. That the sin of this world is crying out. But we know that God has made a way through Jesus Christ and the rapture of his precious church. We also see the second most read and studied story is probably the, the book of Jonah, the study of Jonah and the whale. And it's a story I heard a kid say one time, went to his teacher and said, uh, do, do you believe in the, in the story of, of Jonah and the whale? And she says, there's no way that, uh, that this whale could have swallowed Jonah. And he says, well, here's what I believe. I believe if God wanted Jonah to swallow the whale, he could have done that. The reality is, is our God can do anything. Amen. And as we study this, I want to read a few verses to you, and then I'm going to put a couple things in perspective, if I may. Jonah chapter 1, and it says, Now the word of the Lord came into Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, and I want you to underscore these words, Arise, underscore that, go, underline that, to Nineveh, that great city, and then the last one, cry, under, underline that, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now this is the big parenthetical, if you will, that kind of sets everything in motion for the story of Jonah and what happens after that. It says, but Jonah, everybody say but. 
Now, when you see in Scripture, but God, you know God is doing something profound. But when you see a calling on your life, followed by the word but, that means that you and I are entering in the human flesh into a divine calling. And that's a no-no. And he watched what he did. He says, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Underscore that. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare there and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word today that you hold above your own name. Lord, I pray that we would rightly divide it today in power and in truth that you would set people free. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. I want to give you today a message entitled Humble Beginnings, which end in big finishes. Humble beginnings which end in big finishes. You say, Mark, why is this a humble beginning? Because if you look at Jonah, one of the minor prophets in the scriptures, you realize that there wasn't a lot said about Jonah. It was a very small amount of information. And if you study Nineveh, you sometimes wonder, why is it that this man of God had such a a rejection, such an opposition, pushing back from a call, a divine call from God, to go and to minister? I mean, why would we not want to see people set free? Why would we not want to see... Uh, good prevail over evil. And if you study into the city, the capital city of Assyria, a place called Nineveh, that great city, as the Word of God so eloquently says, we realize that this city was one of the most notorious cities, some of the most grotesque, barbaric people to ever be mentioned in the Word of God. If you study your history, you'll realize that Nineveh was actually a persecutor of people everywhere. You didn't even have to be a Christian. You just had to be something other than a Ninevite. And in so doing, they would actually kill these people. They would take babies from surrounding places and they would crucify them on on, on altars and they would actually burn them. And they would take men and women and they would put them on a stake while they were still alive and line the city streets going to the capital of of Nineveh and light them on fire just as a torch so you could have a, a means of getting to the city. I mean, these people did not deserve, according to Jonah, and let's just be real today, they did not deserve... The liberty, the mercy, the grace, and the love of a holy God. I think what sometimes in our life, maybe that's the MO that we walk in, in in our own culture. You know, we truly want to see God move. We want to see God move in our life. But is there somebody that's ever hurt you? Is there somebody that's ever hurt your child? Is there somebody along life's path that has done something evil or wrong to you? And you just really and truly, I mean, you might pray for them, but it might go something like this. Lord, I pray you'd bless them and just let them fall down the stairs in Jesus' name. Something like that. You know, you don't, you don't really want them to be blessed, do you? But see, Jesus came into the story uh, a few years later, obviously, and he came in and he says, you, you, you don't hate your enemies. That's the natural default of any man. But pray for them. Rather, ask God to bless them. And see, that's the problem that Jonah had with this, is he didn't want to go there because he knew firsthand the evil. But what I want to give you today is three words found in this text, but I want to subdivide them, if I may, into one-word announcements, one-word calls. There's three words, but I'm going to divide them up as one word. Because here's what I know to be true. When we're called by God, we're looking for that pie in the sky. We want to see the the whole unfolding of the plan. How many of you know that's true? If God's calling me, God, show me how I'm going to do it. Show me how I'm going to pay for it. Show me where I'm going. Show me what's going to happen. And unfold the whole plan. But how many of you realize that if we had that kind of plan, and we could see through the quarters of time and see the end before we ever started, there'd be no reason for us to walk in faith. See, the reality is the Bible says that we're justified by faith. We walk by faith. We are saved by faith, by His grace, through faith. That's the vehicle. And the Bible says, watch this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
uh, Abraham, of course, Father Abraham saw that same word. He said, just go and leave the Earl Chaldees and start walking. Can you imagine that dialogue? If, if, if Abraham said, hey, God, you know, tell me where I'm going. And maybe the whole story of Abraham would have unfolded differently. But the Bible says that Abraham rose up early and he got his family and he started walking. Can I tell you something? God just wants some of the Christians in this room, some of the children of the Most High God to just start walking. God is not going to tell you the end before the beginning starts. He wants you to walk in faith. Can I say it this way? I said this last night at Winter Jam. We were standing on the stage and I said this. I said, you know what? Oftentimes in life, we want so desperately to know all the ins and outs of our calling and of our ministry and of our life. But really, if that's the case, then we're merely operating in things that we have seen before and we're operating under the natural. But if you operate under the natural, hear me now, you will never experience the supernatural of God. You see, if we do what only we feel comfortable doing, then what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said is the comforter? You see, the reality is, is the reason that Jesus says it's expedient, it's necessary that I leave you, he told his disciples. Because if I go, I will send another one in my place and his name shall be the comforter. You see, God sends a comforter in our life because he wants us sometimes when we hear from him to be moved to a place of absolute uncomfortable so that we don't have an answer, so that we don't know how we're going to make it. Man, I'm going to tell you something, and our staff will echo this. We do this every single day in our ministry, don't we? We sit down and we talk about it. Here's what God's called us to do. Here's what's going to happen. And they go, how are you going to do it? And I go, I have nothing. You know, I don't know how it's going to happen. I just know that I'm called by God to do it. Can I tell you something? The Bible says, I has not seen or ears heard nor has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. And can I tell you something? That's not merely talking about heaven. The Bible says that we can have heaven on earth as it is in heaven. We can experience the fullness of God now under the auspices of the faith that we trust him in. Three words real quick. The first one I want to give you, and keep in mind, I want you to look at these in a singular form. Number one, if you're taking notes, God told Jonah, he said, I want you to arise. Guys, we are, we are saturated in a culture of easy believism. Do nothing theology. People today in our culture are so lazy, and we're seeing it. You know, if you're 40 years of age or old, you remember, I mean, I, my dad would not let me quit. If you started something, you did what? Say it with me. You had to finish it. I mean, yeah, I could watch TV, but I had to go cut the grass. Why did we have to rake the grass back then? I don't understand that. Who, what's the deal with mulching blades? That came along when my kids were growing up. I had to go, how many of y'all remember raking wet grass? I tried one time to tie the rake behind the lawnmower as I cut, and it would, it didn't work. But you know what? I, it was a matter of pushing you out and launching you out into letting you see the taste of hard work. And our generation is one of the last ones. And you know what? That's true. It's also true in our spiritual life. I want to say this to you. I don't believe with any part of me that God in the dialogue with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, as they sit in heaven and the dialogue, the Bible says Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Check it out. Before He ever created the world, He knew you and I would fail and had a plan of redemption. And watch what happened. I don't believe in any ounce of my being that they sit down in dialogue and said, here's what's going to happen, Jesus. You're going to leave your perfect heavenly abode and you're going to enter into humanity and time and you're going to come into a family who has nothing no name you're going to be raised by a step surrogate dad if you will 
and all of the ostracizing that's going to take place. You're going to have nothing to speak of. At 12 years old, you're going to start speaking with eloquence that's going to blow man's mind. You're going to move into age 30 where you're going to come into your earthly ministry. You're going to live a perfect, sinless life. You're going to trajectory yourself through the confines of people who don't believe, who curse you. All the way to the point of one week you're going to enter into the city of Jerusalem and they're going to scream, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. The same people one week later are going to shout, crucify him. You're going to go through mock trials. You're going to come to a point where this, this man who can set you free according to his own words is going to wash his hands. They're going to release a murderer in your stead. You're going to go to the cross. You won't make it. They're going to have to send a man named Siren, uh, I mean Simon of Cyrene to help you carry the cross because in your humanity, you will absolutely, utterly fail. You will get up with him. You will be nailed to a cross and you will die a horrible death. I submit to you, church, he did not do all of that for you and I to sit down and cross our hands. But he did it that you would rise up and take the mantle and say, what can I do with this? The cross requires a response. And to do nothing is a response. He told Jonah, he said, arise. He told every single man, woman, boy, or girl that ever had a divine calling on their life. He says, get up. Because what we realize is that when we're sitting down, we're not operating in power. We're operating in fear. See, for us to sit down in life means that we are not authoritative. We don't walk in the power. The Bible says you've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Guess what? Sitting down means you're operating in weakness and complacency. He told the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8, 9, and 10 and following, he says, it's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect. When you are weak, you are then strong. But to be strong, you don't sit down, you get up. Look at the athletes on the field. Clark Daniel, I guarantee you, you wouldn't sit him on a, on, on a bench and say, here, sit here, we're fixing to go play a ball team. He'd be standing up and going, hey, put me in, coach, put me in, coach. That's the way we need to look in, in all of the fame of God's glory. We need to be standing. We need to be at the edge of the, of the aisle saying, I can't wait. I can't wait for the invitation. I can't wait for the calling. And realizing that we're never going to take a step until we first what? Say it with me. Stand up. You see, the reality is, as we look at the confines of people going through the callings of their life, case in point, the one that I'm going through right now, I don't know how it's supposed to all work out. I'm just hoping my wife has figured it out. Because, I'm not kidding. Because the reality is, is I realize that there's about 50 things that we're juggling. But here's what I know. And I know it to the core of who I am. That God has called me. And the Bible says in Philippians 2 and 13, that, that it's God both that works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. If there's anything in you today, child of God, that is kind of a nudging or a pushing for you to do something, even if it's out of your own comfort zone, it is God who placed it there. If that's true, then the balancing act we play is to let God do what He's called me to do. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident. Say confident with me. Say confident. Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in me will also complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. See, all i got to do is stand up and say, here I am, Lord. Use me. Send me. But before I can be sent, i got to be standing. I love the story in Acts chapter 7. The first martyr, Stephen, the first deacon, really, and the first martyr. I love what the Bible says, and you will miss it if you're not careful. 
the Bible says that as Stephen was being stoned, he spoke some of the same words in a different vernacular as our Savior spoke. Where Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The, the Bible says Stephen, the first servant, Diakonos, who was stoned, and the Apostle Paul standing by, the Bible says the, his clothing was laid at his feet, which indicated he had ordered the stoning. And Stephen, the Bible says that he would tell them not. He would say, God, don't lay this sin at their feet. And then the Bible says that Stephen looked up and he saw into heaven. And guess what Jesus was doing? Not seated at the right hand of the Father, but the Bible says Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. You see, when we stand, we applaud one another. How many of you know, and you heard David say, how many of you know we need to encourage one another in this thing we call our faith walk? Okay, one of you. Thanks, Linda. Thanks for your encouragement. Anybody else feel like we need to encourage one another? Come on now. Wave your hand at me like you just don't care. Listen, the reality is, is you encourage people and you push them along, not by sitting down saying, you know, hey, hey y'all go ahead and go get it. You know, I'll be there in a minute. No, no, no. There's something called servant leadership. That's what Jesus did profoundly. That's what a shepherd does with sheep. He leads them beside the still waters. You want to be an encourager? You have to be willing to get up and arise. Take your rightful place. Get your marching orders. Join the ranks of the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. And say, here I am, Lord. Send me, I'll go. Secondly, not only do we need to arise, the other one word charge is we have to go. As I said before, I think we live in a culture and maybe even bought into the lie of easy believism and do nothing theology. And that we don't want to go. If you've ever been in church and you've heard a pastor say, just listen, God will speak. If you're like me, for a long time, I would be sitting in a pew and God would say something to me and I'd be sitting in a seat and and the Bible, I mean, the the Bible would be preached and the pastor would say, listen, God is speaking. And he would be preaching and and, and preaching and I know he's on me and I'd look at my friend, but listen, he's talking to you. You know, and it's just like he's just wearing me out. All of a sudden the Holy Spirit nudges me and I feel like God's saying something to me, but I'm terrified. I remember the first time that I ever lifted my hands up and surrender in a time of worship. Some of you have never done that. Can I tell you, that's the most liberating thing you've ever seen in your life if you'll let go. In fact, you know, maybe everybody just do a little exercise right now. Let's do this. Everybody hold both hands up. You sports guys are going touchdown. No, listen. No matter where you go in the world, keep them up. This is the posture of surrender. Do you know when you lift, hold them up. Do you know when you lift your hands up in worship, Or in your bathroom when you're praying. Not when you're riding down the road in your car. I tried that a few weeks ago. That's not smart. But when you hold them up, you're just simply saying this, God. You're not saying, hey, y'all look at me. Here I go. I'm lifting up my hands to worship God. No. Let me tell you something. When He gets all over you, you do not care who's looking. And you just lift your hands up and you just say, Lord, here I am. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Kim, thank you for keeping yours up. You can put yours down too. Jesus, from the moment of age 12, according to Hebrew culture, that's when he could speak the first time out in the public forum. <clears throat> the Bible says that his mother and father lost him and couldn't find him. And they went back into the town and they saw him in the temple, profoundly confounding the wisest of the religious crowd. Do you remember the response? Oh, Jesus, where have you been? What have you been doing? Remember what he said? I have been up and about my father's business. At 12 years old, confounding the wisest of the wise in that simple 
but yet profound statement. I have been up. I have stood up and entered into my rightful place. He wasn't even entering into his ministry at that point. But at 12 years old, according to Hebrew culture, he could for the first time speak outwardly in a public forum, in a community where people could hear him. Because other than that, that was against the law. At 12 years old, the moment that he could, he did. He rose up and he became a goer, a doer of the word. The Bible says in faith, I mean, and James says, faith without works is what? Dead. I want to live, watch this, do you really think that we live a lively hope with a living Savior who died for eternal life that we're to just kill over and die and not live a living faith? Everything about Jesus says go. If you don't know our, our, our buzzword, our, our mandate, our motto for Northridge Church is love God, reach people. Let me tell you how that looks. Love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Everything in us should take and appropriate things, compartmentalize things, subservient to that of God. Everything. If, if you put your, your spouse before God, you're out of balance. If you put your children before God, you are out of balance. If you put your grandchildren before God, I understand. But you're out of balance. Your job, hunting, anything. God is a God of order. And what God is telling us to do, He's saying, put me first. Turn your affections off of the things of this world and set your face like flint. You look to me. You look for me. You search me when you can find me. You call on me while I can be heard. You pursue me with everything that you are. And that automatically will make you want to do the second part of our motto, which is go reach people. How do we reach them? We feed them. We meet one of their irreducible needs. And when they begin to eat, they look at you like, why, why did you do this for me? And I'm going, I'm glad you asked. Because I love Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said this. He says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And they said, when did we clothe you and feed you and give you to drink and, and put clothes on your back? When did we do that with you, Jesus? He says, for as much as you've done unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. The most incredible... Listen, we live in a world where churches today, churches at large, I'm not talking about any church in specific. I'm just telling you why we did what we did. The mandate of love God, reach people, makes certain that we don't find ourselves in a comfortable place where we get like the field of dreams with Kevin Costner. How many of you seen that? Just build it and they'll come. Can I tell you something? They will not come. You and I have got to go get them. The most profound teaching that Jesus showed us in his earthly ministry is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. I believe it's in verse 22. Don't, I'm not 100% sure about that. But he said these words. Foxes, they have their dens. Birds, they have their nest. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what he was saying? Jesus said, I don't have a home. I don't have a place to call home. He didn't try to plant a megachurch. In fact, when the, when the multitudes surrounded him, having uh, produced one of the 37 miracles mentioned in the Gospels, guess what he did? Every single time. He says, all right, God, I'll be with you in a minute. I'm out. I'm going, to, I'm going to commune with the Father. He didn't have a home. How, 
how in the world the, the Jews to this day still cannot fathom how this guy is the man comes. Y'all come on. How does this guy who is to be the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King of the world, the King of the universe, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the, the, the owner of all things. Colossians 1 says, by Him were all things created, whether in heaven and earth, whether the thrones, dominions, invisible or visible, principalities and powers. All things were created by this guy. For him, he sustains them and they consist by him, yet he doesn't have a place to call home. Jesus was homeless. He was a transient. He would go into a community and go out. Boy, he left a lot of cool stuff in his wake. When he went through a town, I love, I love the scriptures that start out like this. And when Jesus passed by, you hear of women being healed of a 12-year issue of blood. You hear of of people who've been by the pool of Bethesda waiting for the occult, waiting for the evilness of the stirring of the waters for some kind of witchcraft. And Jesus walks by and looks at him and goes, what are you doing? He goes, I missed it again. He says, get up, take your bed and walk. Man, when Jesus passed by, he was going and he was moving and he was up and about the Father's business. And if the Bible says in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, even though being God, felt equality with God, not within his own grasp. And guess what? He humbled himself, even to the point of the cross. Some of us just need to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I go to games. I go to school. I go to work. I go to church. But you know what I really need to be doing? I need to be going about my father's business. I need to be telling people about Jesus. Which brings us through the third one. And that's simply this. Cry out. He told Jonah, he said, arise. Get up. When you get up, I want you to start going. I love the ones that were called in Scripture. Like Father Abraham. Man, I tell you what, he was a man of God, wasn't he? The implication in Scripture is, in Abraham's call, that on the day he told him to take his only son, Isaac, and go up to this mountain and take the firewood and take the servants and take your knife. And knew that he did not have a lamb with him. I believe with all of my heart, according to the word of God, that, that, that Abraham knew what he was going up there to do. You see, in that culture, the pagans, the anti-God community, would willingly lay their children on the altar of sacrifice and think nothing of it. They were willing, check it out, they were willing to go for a false god and yet... Was Abraham willing to go for the one true God? You say, Mark, that must have been a crazy world to live in. Can I tell you something? It still happens today. Do you know that the cults of this world, the world religion cults of this world, are more up and about their fake God's business than we who serve the one true living resurrected God. We will sit down and we get frustrated. They'll come knock on our door and tell us a lie that they have propagated that was fashioned out of a young boy in both cases. And yet they will go. They will ride their bikes. They will go in the rain. They will go in the cold. And yet we'll sit down and go, oh, man, they frustrate me. Let me tell you something. Give us that kind of intestinal fortitude to be willing to go when we have the truth living in us. And as we go, the last thing we do is we cry out. We cry out. We cringe. We cringe at the proposition. Witnessing. 
The next statistic that I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a little bit of a commercial. So if you want to, you can plug your ears because it doesn't give me any joy to give this statistic. 92% of evangelicals that have been polled, asked, or otherwise conversed with in relation to their faith. Check this out, Andrew. 92% say they have never and probably will never lead anyone to Jesus personally. That is mind-boggling, but it fits right in line with the typical juxtaposition of most cultures and most churches and most workplaces, and that is this. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And yet I submit to you, Steve, that it's not just about you jumping in and being a help to us and being a help to those who are willing to go and to cry out. But I submit to you that it's more about you entering into the story that God is writing of which you need to be a part. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 blow my mind. You don't ever read them without reading all three together and you'll really understand what God is doing. Both in the context of spiritual gifts as well as individual placement in the body of Christ. They're teachers, they're evangelists, they're apostles, they're singers, there's encouragers, there's, there's counselors. I mean, you know, and, and it doesn't list them all. But the gifts that God gives each of you, some of you guys are some of the best listeners in the entire world. Some of you sitting here, and I won't call out your name, you're the best... You're the best counselors that God has to offer this world. Some of you can sing. Some of you can play instruments. Some of you can pray. And when you pray, it feels like the roof is going to come off the place. Some of you will witness to a tree and pray that he or she will find hope in Christ. But there's others of you sitting here today And you're really kind of dialoguing even right now as I'm speaking. I'm going to tell you what you're thinking. You're saying to yourself, Self, you have nothing to offer. You can't sing. You're terrified to speak in public. You can't play an instrument. You can't preach. You can't teach. Man, you read this book and you're more confused than when you opened it. I mean, really and truly, what do you have to offer? I used to say that. Mark, you can do all these things in the world, but man, you will not be one of those Jesus freaks. You won't be a holy roller. The Bible says in Corinthians, in the last verse of chapter 12 of the first letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, He says, after all of these things, he said, yet, everybody say yet, however, everybody say however, I show unto you a more excellent way. (laughs) And then for the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about the supremacy of love over every one of the gifts, inclusive of preaching and prophesying and teaching and evangelizing, all of them included. Yet I show unto you a more excellent way. How many of you know that you can love if you really want to? Just lift your hands up. Maybe lift them both up and say, I surrender. 
Jesus said this, the way people will know you're my disciples, you're my followers, you're trained in me, learned in me, is based on how you love one another. I can cry out. We all can love. 1 Corinthians 14 says, you know what? You show me the, you show me the part of the body. You show me an individual who feels themselves to be inadequate and having nothing to bring to the table that feels they have no gift, no purpose, no ability, and yet I will show you in that person the greatest of the piece of all the puzzles. Did you, did you hear what I just said? Show me the part that has nothing to offer and because, Bill, of their humility and feel, you know what I believe God would rather that we do? Just walk up and go, all right, God, I got nothing. Use me. Rather than coming up and say, all right, God, I'm here. You know who I am. I can sing. I can preach. I can lead thousands to the Lord. You know, I believe God would say to that what the inference would be. You humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. But if you come cocky before the throne of God, he will abase you. He will humiliate you and you will realize that in and of yourself you are nothing. That it ain't because you can speak that you become a preacher. It ain't because you can sing that you become a singer. It ain't because you can encourage and you have your own confidence in where you are that you become an encourager or a counselor. No, it's because you bring God nothing. And God has everything. And God plus you equals no more than God by himself. But you plus God is everything that the kingdom can offer you. I love the fact That as I speak of His fame and His mercy and His love, as we share the story, the simple story, for God so loved the world that He gave, and that whosoever will let Him come and He will in no wise cast Him out. Anybody in this room can say that. Before I started preaching... I didn't know how to quote scripture. My wife would quote scripture. My, my mother-in-law would quote scripture. People around me would quote scripture. And I was like, how do you do that? How do you get that? And I remember the more I got up and preached, I'd get up and I'd have notes and I'd have my scriptures. And I'd go down and methodically, methodically, I'd go through it. And I, I'd study the whole sermon. I'd go, all right, this is how it's going to look here. And I'll interject a joke here. And here's where the... And you know what? I felt naked before a holy God. But when I would write it down and I would study it and then I would take and set it aside as a reference point, God would call forth the Word of God out of me and I would quote scriptures I didn't even know I knew because He says, if you hide my Word in your heart, I will call it out at the right time. You don't know that you are as powerful as you are in Christ. The weakness you think you bring to the table is the very thing that he told the Apostle Paul. It's in your weakness that my grace is made sufficient. That when you're weak, then are you strong. You see what I want? You know what I want? Tracy. You know what I want, Lucas? I don't want to stand before God with a bank account full of money. I don't want to stand before God in the best shape. The Bible says that that kind of working out profit is little. I don't want to stand before God with energy and encouragement and standing tall and just, man, God, we did good, didn't we? I want to stand before God depleted, broken, 
broke. I want to be undone. I want to be frustrated. I want to be tired. I want to be exhausted. So that when I get before him, I say, God, I left nothing undone. I didn't leave anything on the field. God, I gave you my best. I know my best wasn't nothing to you. But that's how I want to stand. That's how I want to fall before God. I don't want to stand there having all these resources that could have been used. That somebody may know Jesus. God is saying, stand up. I want every one of you to stand. God says, stand up. God is telling you to arise, church. You like football? Coach football for the glory of God. You like to teach kids and you can't preach Jesus. You go in there and you become Jesus. The the epitome of the Holy Spirit in you. And you teach them mathematics. Or you teach them history. And you teach them science. And when you get to evolution, you just roll your eyes in Jesus' name. And you just keep marching. You sing. You sing for the glory of God. You're a stay-at-home mom. You're working harder than anybody in this room. But you raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And when they're older and start acting crazy, you could just stand there like the prodigal son's father, which is God, and one day know that they're coming back. Gonna be a husband, be a husband for the glory of God. Be a wife for the glory of God. Arise. And let's start marching. Let's start going. Sometimes we just need to lean in, Lee. Once you do that, your momentum is already over your feet, and your feet will follow your heart. See, we stand here, and we've convinced ourselves we can't do this. If everybody just kind of, your heart's committed, your feet will follow. They won't let you fall. And then the last thing, just cry out. Because the story unfolds. All that he went through, the whale spit him out up on the ocean. And the Bible says the word of God came a second time. And guess what he told him the second time? The same thing he told him the first time. Arise and go and preach. And check it out. And when he did, and when he went, and he ran this time, he didn't just walk, he ran. He ran all the way to Nineveh. And he preached. And check it out. Don't miss this. Here's the big crescendo. Here's the big point of it all. The Bible says that from least to greatest, inclusive of the animals, the whole place repented. They turned to God to realize who He was. How many people hang in the balance today dependent upon your standing up, going, and telling them about Jesus? How many Ninevites died in those days before? I want to close with this. If you've seen End of the Spear, you know of a missionary who went into the Amazon rainforest. And they knew that these were barbaric villagers with spears that killed people. Even cannibalism was a way of life. And the head guy said this. He said, there's a gun in the airplane, but here's what I want you guys to promise me. I want you to promise me that if they come running at us with the spears, you don't take out that gun and you shoot them. Because if we die by the end of the spear, we know where we're going. But they don't know Jesus. And if we kill them, they're in hell. 
Can we take that kind of approach? Can we take that kind of mentality? God, here I am. Not just to worship, but here I am to go and to submit myself that even if it kills me, others may know. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You're already standing. The altar's open. The doors of our church stand open today. If God's called you to be a part of our fellowship and our family, it may be a formality, but it's something that means something to us so we can wrap our arms around you and encourage you in your faith and in your walk. If you don't know Jesus today as the Lord of your life, I pray right now that you would just bow your head and your heart and in awe of humility, repent of your sin, believing in your heart that Jesus is the Lord that has died for your sin, paid your sin debt, seated at the right hand of the Father, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And you can have salvation today if a whosoever will let him call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. Would you pray with me from your heart to God in faith, by His grace. Nothing magical about this prayer, but pray it with me if you'd like to know Him today as the Lord of your life. Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. And I believe in Jesus. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. Jesus, will you save me? And help me to live for you until the day you call me home. I'm going to ask some of our folks to come down front to to welcome you in prayer. Stephanie, some of the guys, if you will. You feel like praying with somebody? Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed and invited Jesus Christ into your heart, no one's looking, not going to come to you. But if you prayed and invited Jesus in your heart, lift your hand up right now. Hold it up high real quick so I can pray for you. I'm not going to come to you. Hold your hand up and say, I prayed and I invited Jesus. God bless you up there. Anybody else? Say, I prayed and invited Jesus into my heart. How many of you can say, Mark, I'm terrified to walk. I'm terrified to move. How many of you just say, Mark, I'm just a little fearful. Be honest. Hold your hand up. I'm a little scared to share my faith. Hands are going up all over the room. How many of you can do better this year than you did last year? How many of you want to have a great finish, but you've got to make certain that you build this foundation on a rock and quit building on the sand of this earth, that every time a storm comes, you fall to the side?